Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Crusher. I'm your host, Josh Brewster, and I'm very happy to be joined today uh, by a guy I've always liked by the name of Bill Whittle. I think you know him. And uh, I was looking back, real quickly, I was looking back at uh, an interview I did with Bill. My God, it was 11 years ago. It was December of 12. Wow. Uh, I'm going to try to throw it back up. It's on YouTube. I'm going to try to link somehow, do something. I'd love to see it. We talked a lot about... uh, who Bill is, where he's where he comes from, etc. Uh, so I'm going to try to do that. But uh, Bill, thank you very much for joining me on the. Well, show. my pleasure. It's been a long time. Been way overdue. And I just want to let you know this fantastic backdrop, Bill. Hmm. It's it's in case Rick James comes back from the dead. <laughs> I want to be totally ready. Okay. So, so that's yeah. all right. Wow. Now, Bill, uh, before we roll into all this. A, a few years back, I ran into you, and you said something to me that's rather prophetic. I kind of knew it was coming, but you mentioned to me, you said, you know, you said, Josh, uh, we've made a mistake by depending on all the social media. Mm. They're, they're, you know, they're not sent well censoring or restricting uh, all the content. And I said, you know, Bill, you're right, because I love watching your stuff. But I was getting it like, I don't know, every couple of months. I used to get it like once a week. Then all of a sudden, I'm not, I'm barely seeing it at all. And so it's interesting because you've got BillRiddle.com now, and you've really taken things uh, in-house and, and taken charge. I know you can't get away from social media, but you have taken charge, and, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there uh, that I that I think is great. So why don't you tell me about BillWhittle.com? Well, we um, we rebuilt the website after uh, quite a long time. It was getting uh, it was getting pretty long in the tooth and a little uh, little dated. Uh, just real quick though, the, the thing about um, the the new the new billwood.com website won't won't have any influence on YouTube. That is an algorithm, and um, I have hundred and eighty nine thousand subscribers, and I put out a video and it's seen by three thousand people. So what does that tell you? Um, you know, I mean, the the entire idea of of the subscriber is supposed to be I, I like this guy's stuff. Ding, hit the button, and then YouTube did this this kind of backpedaling thing where they said, "Oh, well, if you want to get notifications, and you have to ring this little special bell." And it's like, well, that's why they hit the subscribe button in the first place. You know, you you morons. So it's it's something um something called shadow banning, Josh, and it's really effective because basically instead of completely silencing you or kicking you off the platform. They just keep turning your views down. And not only does that not give you any legal action against them, it's also extremely disheartening. You know, it's just really, really rough. The- yeah, well, you know, Bill, let me jump in. I, I am, uh, I, even in my in the infancy of this show, uh, I am shadow banned constantly. I, I can tell. Cowards. Uh, I will tell you something personal about me, but I want you to continue. Okay. Uh, you know, I was in the NHL for almost 20 years. I did not know that. Yeah, I was a broadcaster for in the NHL for almost twenty years. I'll be darned. Glazov gangs, uh, and I did some politically, but but my gig in the NHL ended last year, and it's fine, it's cool. Uh, so now I can let it rip. I don't care. I'm yeah. going to say whatever's on my mind. I don't have to make anybody happy. But I can tell when I post things, it's immediately objectionable. And just to let you know, since I don't give a flying fuck, I'm <laughs> going to I'm going to label everything I do explicit. So. There you go. Yep. Exactly. But but here, politics, as you mentioned, as Andrew Breitbart mentioned, politics is downstream of culture. And I know that it is very important to get beyond just books or just political speeches or political shows. And it's very important to to get some material, get some projects out there that people can enjoy. Politics, non-politics, whatever it is. But you've got the the old favorite, the Stratosphere Lounge. Uh-huh. That's just right a live, this live show we do once a week. Right, right angle, ephemera, things to come, story mechanics, major mace Mattingly. So and the I'm last man on up, the moon. I'm going to shut up and you uh, you tell me all about it. Well, it, let me just start by saying, it, connecting it to the last thing you said. Um, we not only have to change the format so that it looks different. We have to change the format so much that people, we have to be able to send out messages that people can't tell are from conservatives, which means you never say the word liberal or conservative. You never say Republican or Democrat. You you give them something that looks and sounds like entertainment, but the message is in the story. That's how they corrupted this country. That's exactly how they corrupted it. 
they it took them 50 years but just to give you a quick example i mean bonnie and clyde is a fantastic film at least it was for the day anyway and you know it was made by warren Beatty, he's an enormous left winger and and it glamorized and romanticized two of the most horrible murderers that ever walked this country so that was like the birth of the anti-hero and since then we've just seen ourselves become villains in our own in our own mythology you know the the patriotic Americans who love this country, it doesn't matter what they look like. They just, they're, we've become the villains in our own country. So they did that not by saying all conservatives are bad. They did that by making the villain always being some rich old white guy who's, you know, got lots of money and, and people make the connection. So my feeling is if, if you, if you have something that looks like, let's just say conservative content, the people who need to hear it are going to either intentionally turn it off or they're just going to bounce off of it. So I decided I wanted to do at least two things that would try to get around that and get the message to them um, in a in, in a way that they didn't know they were getting a message. Um, so let me tell you, talk about the other one first because I love Mace Mattingly so much. So one of the things I'm going to be doing is uh, a show called Story Mechanics. And uh, because of my time doing what I'm doing, and it's been an enormous it's not just an honor and a, and a, and a pleasure. It's just been a, just a drop dead gobsmacking surprise to be able to say that I'm friends with guys like John Voigt and Gary Sinise and Mike Rowe and these kind of guys. So um, I want, I've already asked them, they've already agreed to do uh, a show that's an interview show about how films are made, but with these guys specifically like about certain kind of archetypes. So for example, John Voigt's pretty outspoken about his politics. And if, John is talking about his politics, then people who don't like his politics are going to bounce off of that message. But if I start talking to John about the topic I want to talk to him about, which is the heart of gold, uh, John, John has the ability to play characters who are so almost unlikable on the outside. You know, they're, they're, they're gruff and they're, and they're, you know, they do bad things like in, in midnight cowboys, a male prostitute and in, in the champ, he's a, he's a drunk who, you know, a gambler and, but John has an inner sweetness to him that transcends all that. So if I start talking to John about the heart of gold, what I'm really doing is I'm really talking about what is it that makes a person a good person? What, what is it that makes somebody morally good? And, and by asking him how he achieves it, we get to talk about it. And all I want from our society is, is, is virtuous citizens. This, this country cannot function without virtuous citizenry. So that's kind of a way to get to the message without having to put on the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the suit and the stand in front of the green screen and, and, you know, all that Republican guy. Um, so we've got a bunch of people already signed up for that. So we're going to kind of come at the morality aspect of it rather than the politics aspect, because as you well know, Josh, you know, every time we talk politics with these masters of rhetoric, we lose. And every time we talk philosophy and morality, we win. So I kind of want to get us out, out of their battlefield and onto, onto ours. But the, the one thing I'm most excited about is um, I've been doing 3D animation since, God, I guess, 1992. <laughs> I got a pirated copy of, of Autodesk software called 3D Studio, which cost $1,000 at the time when I was you know, lucky to scrape together 20 bucks. I got this pirated copy, and, and it was almost like some kind of drug deal where I had to go to this guy's, I had to call from a, from a phone booth, you know, and he's looking out the window, and then I go to another address. So I come out of there with like 22 floppy disks. Honestly, 22 of them, just one after the other installing this stuff. Anyway, lately I've been doing a lot of work in Unreal Engine, which is what most of the uh, the modern video games are done in. And for several years now, the level of realism has reached close enough to reality that I'm interested in it. I don't particularly like stylized characters or animation, but it gets better every day. And so using the latest uh, software on Unreal Engine 5, um, I'm able to do pretty realistic looking characters. And I decided when I was looking at the things that we're seeing in our modern society, I thought, you know, my first, my, my desire was to take, was to say, here's what all this looks like to me, you know, a 64 year old baby boomer. This is, this is why I think all of this stuff sucks, you know, and not just sucks, but just bad for the people involved. Then I realized it's just one cranky old guy, you know, it's like Bill Whittle shakes his fist at clouds, you know, that kind of thing. And so what I decided to do was I came up with a storyline about um, four astronauts that are that are still on the moon, and um, and they've been on this secret moon base, and because they're from the Apollo era, they the entire idea is we get to look at 2024 through the eyes of 1966. 
And, and that gives us tremendous latitude. First of all, because they're animated wait, wait, characters. Wait, wait. It takes place in 66? No, it takes place in it, it takes place in 2024. It's a okay. modern day it's a modern day story, but these guys have been on the moon since 1966. Uh, okay, hello. I got it. So they they actually beat Neil Armstrong there although okay. Neil Armstrong Neil Armstrong actually flew the 66 mission and then he went back and flew the 69th mission just just so so I could keep him in first place where he belongs. But basically what I've got is I've got these four guys who are steely-eyed missile men from the from the age when America could just do anything it wanted to. And they get to comment on on modern day society. So I'll just give you the the stock kind of little thumbnail. Uh, these guys are sitting outside of their moon base. It's a real retro looking moon base. And they got their chase lounge and they got a TV set out there, you know, big color console, you know, with a screen that's maybe all of, you know, 36 inches or, or something like that. They're sitting there drinking beer on the moon in their spacesuits and they're, and they're watching TV coming down from earth. And they see, um, they see the Dylan Mulvaney ad for Bud Light. And, and one of them just turns to the other and says, see that that's what happens when, you know, let boys play with toy guns, man. And um, so they and so, back to the moon and they don't go back to earth. Cause why the hell would you, is it? Well, they're on the moon because of their, they're, they're, as far as they're concerned, they're still on duty. They're still on their mission, right. but, okay. but, but because they're, because they're essentially in this little flask, their ethos hasn't changed. They're 1966 guys. And, um, and I've been so pleased with not only the video quality, but it, uh, I acted out all the roles myself using AI voice changing software so it sounds like four really completely different guys and, and i just think it's fun i was watching it does sound like different people that's all you huh? and it's so much fun because you know for me it's uh, one of the taglines for the series is it's always 1966 on the moon you know these guys are, are building their own moon buggies and they're racing them you know in in one six gravity they're playing tag football out there on the lunar surface where you know a guy can throw a can throw a two thousand yard pass and um, and I just find that to be fascinating that the guys who are the astronauts on the moon are spending more time outdoors on the moon than than Gen Zers are here on beautiful planet Earth. You know, so it gave me a chance to talk about um, a lot of things that were missing and a lot of things that have disappeared and are under attack and do it in, in a in a kind of a tongue in cheek sort of way that doesn't really make anybody angry and and makes fun of itself a lot, too. You know, so. I'm just super, super excited about that. And 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 as I say, I was an enormous major uh, Matt Mason uh, kid when I was a little kid. But that's a copyrighted name, so we came up with Major Mace Mattingly. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, I am a total space geek. I became one in the last, I don't know, in my 40s and now into my 50s. Uh, I have watched everything I can get my hands on about Apollo and uh, Gemini and uh, everything. And mm -hmm. I have read every book. And it, what fascinates me, Bill, is the devil is in the details. If you stop and think about something, uh, you, you know, you're a pilot, you're well acquainted with this, but, you know, I was a kid who grew up and I saw the moon landings. You know, I remember, okay, we they, they blasted off. We wait a couple of days. We watch them land on the moon, then we watch them splash down, and it's a great achievement. Now, when you get into the details of one of the things I always point to, Bill, is, okay, you talked on my years ago when we talked, you talked about people had done this with slide rules. This That's wasn't right. compute done by computers. There's more computer power uh, in this iPhone, probably 10 times more than there Easily. is. Yeah, more, more than there was in the entire nation in one phone. Yeah, all, absolutely. All, exactly. All the missions combined. So they calculated that when they went into lunar orbit, they had, when they got to the other side of the moon, whatever it was at some point, they had to fire the thrusters for, I think it was six seconds. If they fired it for seven seconds, mm -hmm. they could have hurtled off into space, never to be found again. Who the hell calculated this? <laughs> I mean, and it's one thing to calculate this, but when you have a guy in yeah. a capsule, the shit well, gets real, Bill. Don't fire for seven seconds, fire for six seconds. That's, that's crazy. That's actually a pretty big error, uh, a one-second error. It's the most dangerous thing ever done. Well, when you hear the moon deniers saying we didn't have the computing power to do it, there was a computer on board the lunar module. Uh, yep. Most of the computing power was on the ground, and the information was basically just beamed up to them. But the, the point that needs to be made here is that is that what the computer was doing was actually extremely simple. This is Newtonian uh, mathematics. The, the, 
Isaac Newton in, in 1700, 1766 could have calculated what he needed to calculate to go to the moon in terms of the math. It's actually really simple math and very, very well understood. So the, the thing about the Apollo program was not so much that it was this incredible technological achievement. It was just that we decided to go. You know, it's just that we decided to do it. And and I grew up in a time when when the future consisted of us being limited only by our imaginations, not by our technology, and certainly not by our politicians or or the weenies who are determined to make sure nobody does anything fun. The idea that we would be stopped from doing things like having nuclear power plants, you know, irrigating the Mojave Desert so you could grow rice there because some some long-haired green freak with, you know, studs in his nose has decided that he doesn't like it, so he's going to write a sternly worded letter to some government agency, and that's going to be the end of it. That was just inconceivable. And that's yep. the kind of thing I really want to make fun of, actually. Well, and, and also, by the way, I, I have to talk because I'm such a geek. Uh, my understanding is one of the many reasons that Aldrin was selected to go with Armstrong. He was a, he was a prickly character. He was not he was. a guy. No. But they say that if any if everything had gone to hell, he could look out the window and with a pencil and a slide rule probably, he could look at the stars and calculate the trajectory to get them to re-enter. And remember, if you don't re-enter properly, you go up like a piece of flash paper. Yeah. So they, it's just it's just fascinating. They, they called they called Audrey and Dr. Rendezvous. Because um, because of all the astronauts out there, all of these guys had superb mathematical skills. But Aldrin was off the charts with this. He could yep. he could literally take a piece of paper, pencil, and a slide rule, and, and and tell you exactly how long you needed to burn to the tenth of a second, um, if if you knew the mass of the spaceship. But all of these guys were, you know, they were steely-eyed missile men, and there and there's a shortage of that today. Um, Neil, Neil Armstrong estimated the chance of the successful uh, of Apollo Eleven after it was over way after it was over. He said his personal estimate of the chance of it being successful, he thought it was 50-50. You know, um, you know what I heard also was, what's his name, uh, Krantz. Gene Krantz said them returning alive, all three returning alive is 35%. On Apollo 13, yeah. Yeah. Um, and 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 so we just willed our way into it, you know? We just we just decided to do it. And Gene Kranz's favorite, a famous, very famous line is failure is not an option. Don't come back to me with anything that says, Hey, look, we can't do it. Gene. If on Apollo 13, you know, they had, these guys had to make a, a they quite, quite literally the most overused word, overused word in the English language now, but quite literally they had to make a square peg fit into a round hole and they used socks and duct tape and they found some cello wrapper, some cellophane from this. And, and they, they just didn't take it as a no. My favorite story, you, you get a kick out of this. My favorite story about Buzz Aldrin and about this entire attitude, this Apollo attitude. Many, many years after the moon landing, when he was a relatively old man, Buzz Aldrin got interviewed by this young woman, you know, who was, you know, just a pretty young thing. She's doing some report on something. He doesn't really have any idea what's going on. But she's more of a modern product of our current age. So she had heard the story, which is true, that when they got back into the lunar module after their moonwalk, either Aldrin or Armstrong was swinging this bag of moon rocks around and they smashed a button on the panel and the panel yeah. button that they smashed was the button they had to push to launch the ascent stage to get off the moon. So they, they, they've got this, they've got this broken button that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So this, so this young lady says to Buzz Aldrin, she says, so, oh my gosh, you know, Mr. Aldrin, you know, what were you thinking about that? I mean, when you when you saw that, were you thinking what your last words to your wife would be, or were you were you thinking about how you were going to end it? Were you going to were you thinking about you just depressurizing the capsule? Would you go for a long walk? Did you have a speech prepared for for the country? I mean, what were you thinking about? And and Aldrin looks at her like she's from Mars or something. He says, "I was thinking about how to fix the goddamn button." You know, what did he use? You remember what he used? Yeah, he's a pen. You just put, poke the pen, pen in there. Worked perfectly. And by the way, Bill, that's the thing. People forget. You can't test launching back up off the moon. No, we're not in one six gravity here. You can't test that. It, we have nothing it, like the automation to do it, and, and and there was no reason to do it. When people say that there were no flight complete, when people say there were no flight complete, let me try that one more time. When people say that there were no flight computers on the lunar module, they're out of their minds. They're two of the finest flight computers in the universe on the lunar module, and one of them was named Neil Armstrong, and the other one was named Buzz Aldrin. These guys were looking out the window. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were getting readouts of how fast and how high. They landed jet airplanes. It's you know, 
And, and the idea that this is somehow impossible is just impossible to small-minded people who, who kind of feel a sense of like insider knowledge, like, oh, I'm not one of those sheep that believe, you know, that they actually landed on the moon, you know, yeah, okay. The litmus test for American stupidity, by the way. It's a, it's a, yeah. I don't know right. how much more stupid you can get. Flat Earth, you can go to Flat Earth. That's flat that's Earth like the, yeah, Earth. that's the, those uh, are the uh, those yeah, are the yeah, magna cum laude's of, of of the denier crowd. Got Holocaust denial. Yep. The moon landing denial. Nine eleven oh. denial. Okay, now we got to get into some weighty sure. issues because I got Bill Whittle here and you know, this guy can talk about this for another three hours. He's a pilot. He's not only a pilot, but he's a theater major too. And I appreciate that. Th people underestimate theater majors, Bill. Theater majors know how to play any role, hmm. get it done. And it's, and if you're going to fail, you're going to fail in front of an audience. And well, if a pilot fails, he dies. So. I'll just say this about that. Uh, I, I'm a guy who lives in both of those. I, I live in the intersection of the engineering and the artistic Venn diagram. And having lived among both both of those sets of people and enjoyed their company on both sides, I can tell you that I would rather hear an engineer sing a Broadway tune than drive over a bridge made by an actor. So uh, that's 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 how I I'll look at these things, you know. Yeah, thank you. All right, Bill. Here we go. We got to dive into all kinds sure. of serious stuff. I'll start with this because we were talking about science. I'm gonna I'm gonna move through a bunch of topics quickly. But I'm going to start with this because you sparked my uh, my interest, since you're a guy who understands gravity. I have a feeling, Bill, that I will be 50 years into the grave by the time that the Western man wakes up and realizes that uh, despite his good intentions, a lot of this green politics, this green stuff is a fantasy. And while I applaud your solar panels and your wind power, uh, we need fossil fuels. You are out of your mind if you don't think we need fossil fuels. And I think that the Western man is going to, is deluding himself. But uh, again, I will be decades into the grave by the time we realize what we've done. I don't know if you agree with me, but your thoughts well, on I, I, I do. And, and I remember thinking, you know, it's just going to be so heartbreaking for Greta Lumberg when she dies of old age at 95 and everything is pretty much the same way as it is right now. You know, that's just going to break her heart. Um, look, I, I don't think there's any question that it's getting it's getting a little warmer. When I got here in 88, the snow in the mountains was, you know, was would start in November and go through April. Now you don't see any of it at all. But that's not that's not that's not what they're selling us. They're selling us catastrophic end of the earth. And they're telling us right now carbon dioxide is somewhere around 450 parts per million. And they're telling us if it gets to 455 parts per million, it's game over. And we might as well just bury ourselves right there. Now, here's where, here's where you know the thing is a fraud. Because uh, 80 million years ago, if you put a pin on the part of the earth where Kansas is right now, 80 million years ago, that, that little pin, that flag would have been under about a mile of water. And up above it was a completely life-filled biosphere with, with thousands of species, and the carbon dioxide levels of the Earth 80 million years ago were 3,000 parts per million. Not 400, not 450, 3,000 parts per million. That was a lot warmer then, but whose SUVs got it to 3,000 parts per million? And much more importantly, whose uh, green initiatives got it back down from 3,000 parts per million? Because 80 million years ago, 3,000 parts per million. 80,000 years ago, that same flag is now under two miles of ice. Now carbon dioxide is 170 parts per million. And if it gets any lower than that, plants are going to die. So this idea that, that we're trying to stop climate change is 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 fraud on its face. The climate has been changing constantly. If they want to make the case that we are seeing catastrophically quick changes in climate, they can do that. But they still, no one is talking about anything like 1,000 parts per million, let alone 3,000. And if the earth got to 3,000 parts per million carbon dioxide and was not only recovering, was in fact a, a, a lush tropical kind of a, you know, practically a paradise, then they're just plain lying through their teeth. Now, they're lying through their teeth. Some of them are lying through their teeth because they genuinely believe their models and, and, and they think that the right thing to do is to exaggerate the threat to scare the stupid people into doing the right thing. And this is where, this is where they stop being scientists. 
and and start becoming political hacks. These people these people want to take a political agenda and put the imprimatur of science on it to give it that kind of because science is very very effective stuff. And and they want to put like this big badge on it that says this is science when it's not science it's politics. And it doesn't raise the politics all it does is degrade the science. Um and 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 they know better. Most of them know better. Um I have not seen any evidence that that I think there's some cons- con- I think there's considerable evidence that things are getting warmer, but I don't see any evidence that things are are Look, it's it's very simple. If the Earth did not have a, a a negative feedback mechanism, we wouldn't be here. We, if the Earth didn't self-correct itself back to approximately this temperature, we wouldn't be here. When you have when you have an asteroid impact that wipes out everything on Earth bigger than five pounds, and the and the and the Earth goes through I don't know it was four decades of of winter without a single day of of sunshine, and the Earth recovers from this, there has to be a feedback mechanism. And the best way to think of a feedback mechanism is to think like a shallow bowl, like a walk or something. So if you take a walk and you put a, and you put a ball bearing on the top of the walk and you balance it there really, really carefully, you can get it there. But the slightest little perturbation, the tiniest little ting, and it just starts, it just runs away, right? That's positive feedback loop. But if you turn the bowl upside down and you put the ball bearing in there and you give it a tap, it'll go up and then it'll come back down again. And then you knock it again, it'll go up and it'll come back down again. And that's what the earth's doing. It's constantly readjusting itself. When it gets hotter, there's more water vapor. When there's more water vapor, there's more clouds. Clouds are more reflective than oceans and um, and land, which reflects more light back into space, which cools us down. And, and this idea that these guys have these computer models that are predicting the end of the universe, they know they're wrong about that. I just, that's the only question I want to ask these guys is I'm not going to argue about the current data. I'm not going to argue about satellite. I'm, not, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to get into it. I would just like to say to them, if you're saying that, that the catastrophic end of the earth is coming at 450 parts per million carbon dioxide, how did we get to 3000 parts per million, 80 million years ago? And how did we get out of it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and just to finish the thought, um, this, uh, this idea of perfecting the universe is a hallmark of the left. And as I, as is, I cannot accept any debate and the science is settled. That's a hallmark of a very dangerous left. We've bought into it. Good luck to everybody. And um, there you go. Um, Bill, let's uh, very well put, by the way, let's move on here uh, because um, today on the day, well, there's a lot to unpack here, but okay. Today, $353 million verdict against Donald Trump. Uh, right to fair trial. I don't know where he gets a fair trial. Okay, here's the deal. Bill Whittle, I'm going to throw something out there. And you, if I'm full of shit, you tell me. I am very concerned that despite the fact that I know we were better off four years ago, and I, have, I would have no problem if Trump became the president again, I am wondering, honestly, whether Republicans and conservatives could be walking into a trap because Donald Trump cannot pull the center again. His personality, he's got a lot of baggage, et cetera. Had he not run, I I think, and I'm not telling you to vote for Nikki Haley, but I'm just saying, I think somebody else would have crushed Joe Biden for the failure that he is, like a cockroach. And I think that the, 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 the upcoming the landslide bill in upcoming in November would, it would be such an evisceration. It would look like it would make Walter Mondale look like a winner. Well, it would make, and that's what I think. And I, I point. wonder if you think we might be walking into a trap and that this is a little too close for comfort. I don't, I don't think it's a trap and, and I don't I think it's are. close. I think, I, mean, I think Trump is, is, is crushing Biden. I'll check that in a minute for you. I'll, I'll, I hope you're right. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know on an interesting source, but here's the thing, right? Um, I don't know anybody who's a Trump. I'm a, I'm a Trump supporter, and I don't know a single Trump supporter who doesn't openly say that this guy's got a lot of issues. That there's a lot of things that we would like in a president that Donald Trump doesn't have, and that Donald Trump has a lot of things that we don't like in a president. In fact, he's kind of a thin-skinned egomaniac, but he's our thin-skinned egomaniac, and and that's the thing that people love about Donald Trump. So the left continues to try to pull pull him down with legal problems, and I think they think. In fact, I know that they think that they're going to come up with something that's going to be so shocking to conservatives that they're going to go, Oh my God, Donald Trump, Donald Trump slept with a, uh, with a, with a porn star. Oh my goodness gracious. It's like, we, we already know 
We know this. And well, what about and, the center, Bill? What about well, the well, well, the center, he, I, I, I will argue about him not being a, a pulling or, or not being able to pull the center, but that's not the point. The point is the center has been pulled away. It's not been pulled by Donald Trump. The, the Biden and the progressives have pulled the have pulled the rug out of the middle of the country. There is no middle of the country anymore. And so people have to decide, do you want to be on the transgender team or do you want to be on orange man team? And 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 most people are going to are going to have the, I think they're going to come to this decision. Now, you were in the NHL, so you'll get a you'll get a great kick out of this. Polls are polls and I can buy a poll and I can buy a poll and 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 write questions in such a way as to very heavily skew the answer whichever way I want to, right? But betting pools are a different story because betting pools are when people put their own money on the line. And and when you put your own money on the line, especially when it's a private thing and, you know, personal thing, you're not telling anybody, you can be a big old uh, uh, Trump-hating leftist, but if you bet on him in private, that's a different story. So there's a lot of evidence that says that betting pools provide the most accurate prediction of what people are going to do. So let's just take a look at it as of today. Um, Okay, so this is uh, this is the election betting odds for the winner of the U.S. presidency 2024, in order: uh, Donald Trump 50% chance, Biden 31% chance, Michelle Obama 6.3, Newsom 3.7, Harris 1.8, Kennedy 1.5, Haley 1.2. Everybody else is off the off the charts, and Trump's lead continues to grow. Um, so, you know. That's not proof of what's going to happen, but it is saying that um, there's a lot of stuff going on that that isn't being reported because we all know who the media wants to win. So I, I look right there are I could I could list certainly three without any hesitation and without much thought at all five or six or ten national name politicians who I think can make a better president of the United States than Donald Trump, but. I don't know any of them that have that religious following that Trump has and the, and 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 that religious following that Trump has is born of the idea that despite his many flaws he does not belong to them he is he is one of us he's one and and there's a paradox Josh the reason he's one of us is cuz he's a multi-billionaire you know and 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 you think well that doesn't make any sense well what makes sense about it is he's not in politics for the money. He's not in politics for the influence. He's not trying to get rich off of Chinese or Ukrainian interests or whatever. He, it's, it's an enormous pay cut for him. And, and I think most people realize that and, and understand that that gives him a certain immunity from corruption. Now, you, now if, if Joe Biden's worth $100 million or $200 million, on the other hand, I, I know where Donald Trump got his money. Right, he got it from real estate investment, and he got it from casinos and all the rest of it. Okay, yep. but, but 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 where does this Biden money come from? Since well, there are lives of public service, you know, we're we're public service. We're all about public service. Okay, great. You make four hundred thousand dollars a year as president, Joe. Um, where the where the rest of the thirty million or whatever come from? Fifty one CIA guys sign a letter that says that laptop is bullshit. And does this go right by the American people's eyes? Well, of all the things that I'm seeing out there, the one thing that is the most disappointing, heartbreaking, and worrisome to me is the corruption of the justice system. And that starts with the with the basically with the fundamentally communist attorney generals that we've had, starting with Barack Obama and then and then with um, Joe Biden. And and that's horrifying enough. But the idea that 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 the FBI and the CIA would be conspiring to to throw the election in favor of the Democrats means that this Washington bubble has become so impermeable that the whole thing's just got to go. If it were up to me, I'd fire, I'd fire, I, I wouldn't fire all of the field agents. I'd interview them and I'd find the field agents that I thought had the most patriotic and freedom loving ideas in the FBI and CIA. I'd promote them to key positions. And not only would I fire every general and admiral in the U.S. military, there are a few good ones in there, but 
why take chances? I would I would not only do that, I would I would abolish the Pentagon. I'd turn I'd sell the Pentagon into a roller skating rink. I'd just sell it to whoever had the most money. And I would make these generals and admirals have their meetings at their bases around the country and around the world. Because once you get inside that fifth ring at the Pentagon, nobody brings you bad news. Everybody who's in that inner ring on the Pentagon wants to have the stars on their shoulders and they will do anything to do it, including things like saying, well, we've got to make our, you know, the greatest threat to our national security is um, is global warming and our lack of tolerance for uh, trans people. That, that, that they, This is what they say verbatim. And if you're, if you're wearing a uniform and you say that, you are not a soldier, sailor, airman, or Marines of, of the United States and and you're you're done uh, if it, if i had the power to do it i would cashier all of them and i and i'd give them a dishonorable discharge if i could prove that they knowingly weakened the us in order yeah. to advance their careers i'd give them at least that well uh, look there's a world of things we could get into here but this is how i'm how i'm looking at things is i don't know when the look we're so trained to democrats hate republicans republicans hate democrats to me bill this is America against the left. We used to be Tip O'Neill versus Ronald Reagan, Newt Gingrich versus Bill Clinton. We used to have some kind of normal big yeah. government versus small government. Now we've got America, which I'll define as Republicans, Democrats, liberals, and conservatives right. against leftists. Yeah, progressives. And I don't know when people will wake up and realize that your Democratic Party, you you have your 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 enemy is internal. Most liberals have more in common with conservatives than they think they do. Oh well, yeah, of course, of course they do. America's done, Bill. I I kind of call this the um, Rubik's cube effect, and you'll appreciate this as a sportscaster, right? So, so here we are, conservatives, and and you know, and we're on Team Red, and we're supposed to hate the liberals on Team Blue, and they hate us, and and you know, they it's just it's just really ugly. But then you could take these two people, right? You take Mr. Super MAGA Republican guy and Mr. You know uh, Biden Forever Liberal guy. Except the Biden Forever Liberal guy probably wouldn't go to a sporting events. But you get the idea. You can get conservatives and liberals who put them in a in a in a stadium, and it's no longer conservatives and liberals anymore. Now it's Packers versus Bears fans, and the people who are around you, if you're a Packers fan, they're either conservative or liberal, but you don't know that and you don't care. Everybody's wearing the yellow and the green, and it's those it's those goddamn bear fans over there that need to be dealt with. And so this division is largely imposed upon us. But the reason there's so much division is because because of the left. When we when you were talking about Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan, in fact, all throughout the the fifties and most of the history of this country after the Civil War was about. Okay, so you're a Republican versus a Democrat. What do you don't agree on? Well, I think we should have a seven percent tariff, and I think we should have a three percent tariff. And 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 when and when you have politics confined to politics, you can get politics done. But it's the left that brought politics into education. It's the left that brought politics into the bedroom. It's the left that brought politics into uh, into the school classroom. It's the left that is telling you that you have to believe these things, and if you don't believe these things, you're canceled. And so it's no longer about about what size government I want. Now it's about whether or not I want my daughter in the same uh, locker room as, as a guy who's, who said he feels like a girl that day. And, and that's why things are so, that's why things are so passionate now is because these, these lunatics have used politics to enforce their worldview on people when we don't have any desire to enforce our worldview on anybody. I don't care what other people think. I just don't want them telling me what to do. But they can't handle that. They got to control everything and everybody. And if anybody disagrees with them, they've got to be dealt with. All right, Bill, let's move on. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Years ago, you and I touched on uh, the border when the border was uh, was just a it was just merely a shit show. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> it hadn't become a clusterfuck, yeah. which later became an invasion that later became something that's going to turn states from red to blue, which later became. Now, listen to this one, Bill. Somebody, I can't remember where I read this. If you took, we had like 20 million illegals at least before the latest invasion, which it is an invasion. No question. Okay, Bill, here it is. If you had a state that was comprised just of illegals, that state would be the second largest state in America, second only to where you and I are sitting, Gavin Newsom land, California. I want you to think about this madness, Bill. Oh, 
and all the millions of people who just came in, they've been here a year, only takes nine months to produce a baby. Once they start dropping babies because of the way we read the Constitution, God knows why, they're never going to get out. I don't see, this is insane. Bill, this is insane. And before I finish my thought, I'm very concerned. You can send them to New York. To me, you need to send them to all the the liberal suburbs like uh, Shaker Heights and Gross yeah, Point. Beverly Hills and yeah, and Bill, Westwood. Brentwood. Bill, this is insane. And I think the only people who really get it are people who live in southern border states. I, those, well, are I agree. Rantings, those are my rantings. Do what you will with them. Well, first of all, um, when um, Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis started shipping these people to the liberal sanctuary cities, and then they started screaming bloody murder. That was the that was the smartest piece of political theater I've seen in in, in twenty years. It was brilliant. Yeah, yes. live up to your rhetoric, okay? And it's easy for you to say, "Oh, we should let everybody in" when you're eight hundred miles or two thousand miles away from the border. So that's brilliant. It, there's no question it's an invasion. There's no question that there, that we're going to be dealing with a lot of crime. I'm not. I I have a feeling. I have a feeling that these immigrants are not turning red states blue. I think they're turning blue states red. Um, because one thing you can say about illegal immigrants is they are not, and I've seen this living, we, we both live in California, so we know we have pretty good firsthand knowledge of, of, of this kind of thing. One of the things that illegal immigrants seem to have in common, and not surprisingly, is they don't really want anything to do with anything official. They don't want to deal with the cops. They don't want to deal with the courts. They don't want to deal with anything because then they're exposed. As far as they're concerned, they just want to, they just want to do what they want to do and stay under the radar. Now, your point about, about making babies and having them become automatic citizens is a good point, but that is also 18-year lead time before they can vote. So what I think is going to happen is that this issue is going to be resolved long before then. One of the reasons that Donald Trump is is Donald Trump is he's got the, the guts to say, when I am elected, we're going to see the biggest mass deportation in the history of this country. And And listen, there are people who are listening to this and hearing, oh, you xenophobe, oh, you 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 hate-filled, you know, bigot. My wife is Russian. My wife is well, she was Russian. Now she's a U.S. citizen. So I had to spend six years of money, time, effort, and 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 endless paperwork to get her to a temporary residence card, a permanent residence card, U.S. citizenship, and she had to work her tail off to do that. So I'm not anti-immigrant. I'm anti-illegal immigrant, and it's not fair to my wife. Look, I. I've tried twice to get my stepdaughter into this country on a tourist visa. We've been declined twice, twice over seven years. And that hurts. And, and I'll tell you the, the truth of it is, Josh, it wouldn't hurt nearly so much if I felt that it, that she wasn't allowed in because the United States borders are so incredibly secure that, that no one who has the slightest possibility of, of disappearing off the radar is, is going to be allowed in. But when, but when you make a legal application for a tourist visa from a responsible professional photographer holding property in Russia, coming to visit the U.S. as a tourist, who has two U.S. citizen parents with spotless criminal records, and you turn that person down, it, you, what you want to do is you want to say, oh, okay, well, then we'll just do what everybody else is doing. See, here's the problem, and, and, we're, and we're rapidly approaching a, a real critical problem with this. The reason America has been so successful for so long is because for most of our existence, doing the right thing and doing the smart thing meant doing the same thing. And now these, these swine have inverted the legal system so much that now you have to make a choice between doing the right thing or doing the smart thing. Conservatives continue to do the right thing. But when you set up a society so that being virtuous makes you a chump, yeah. not just an outcast, but a chump, where you being don't have any self-respect anymore because- a citizen. Being yeah. a citizen can be yeah. a chump. Yeah. It, then, you're, then you're like the guy who's, who's in line, uh, who's, who's in the right lane on a freeway exit, and you're watching every single car that comes up from behind you cut in front of you, every single one of them. And you realize I'm not moving. I'm not getting forward. Then you start saying to yourself, okay, well, if that's, if that's the new rules for getting off the freeway, then I guess I'm going to have to be a dick like the rest of these people. And, 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 and there you go. Now you're in real trouble. So I don't think that this system that is inverted can last. Uh, something that, that cannot last will not last. I think that's Glenn Reynolds quote. Um, but I, I have a feeling that 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 the election in 2024 is going to be a, a, a big one. 
you know, what, what, what a master, uh, you know, what, what a master of the future I am, you know, to say something like that. Um, if it turns out that, that they cheat their way out of that one, then I think we really have to start asking serious questions about um, what states we want to take out of the union, because right. well, we, we, we we're predicated on the idea of being able to vote for our insect overlords. And if you convince enough Americans that that system no longer works, then we'll leave the system. Well, I'll tell you something, Bill. That you, you, you look. I, I'm, I'm teaching my son the book 1984. Uh, uh, I hadn't read it in 40 years, but you know the, the, the new speak of erasing the word illegal, using mm-hmm. the word migrant. This is the kind of crap that this is Orwellian talk. Now you and the well, left, I, they're masters of this. They're masters of the rhetorical battle. Bill, I know where you live. You know where I live. Go talk to any Iranians in your neighborhood who mm-hmm. came here legally. I mean, you yep. have experience with your with your wife, but you you talk to them about what they had to do. I know people had to sit in Rome for six months penniless waiting for their visa. Let's cut the bullshit. All right. Now, speaking of moral inversion, Bill, and I'm going to I'm going to finish with this because I could go on and on and on. OK, but there's a big case of moral inversion here and uh, it involves October 7th. Um, hey folks, uh, they didn't massacre these Jews because they voted for Benjamin Netanyahu, folks. They massacred Jews because they're Jews. And uh, you know, the can of worms bill in our universities, no surprise to me. Uh, I am absolutely disgusted by the world's response. Me to- too. Look, Bob, I'm going to tell you something, Bill. Bob Dylan has a great lyric in a song called Neighborhood Bully. Um, it's it's a pro-Israel song, which is why you can't get it on YouTube because they've censored it. came out in 1983 after uh, a very courageous uh, Israeli fighter pilot, who, who, by the way, died on one of our shuttles. Okay, He bombed the Ilya Ramon. nuclear. What's that? Ilya Ramon. He, he hit okay. the Baghdadi nuclear reactor. Jews are not supposed to fight back or have thick skin, they're supposed to lay down and die when their door is kicked in. Bob Dylan said That's Bob Dylan, man. Now, I just want you to talk about your reflections on the world after October 7th and you know what this all means. Because in my book, uh, I'll finish with this. I wrote a piece on Substack. One man's Hilton is another man's terror tunnel. Look <laughs> what Gaza has chosen for itself. Your well, thoughts, Bill, and, and have at it. Okay, so you started this by saying that Hamas did what they did because they, they like to kill Jews. Well, that's obviously true. But to some but, it's obviously but, true. But, but no, but it's obviously but but that's not why they did what they did. The reason that Hamas did what they did was Hamas had to do something that was so appalling, something that was so shockingly brutal that Israel had to respond and had to respond hard. Hamas killed the Jews so that the Jews would then have to come into Gaza and clean out Hamas, and then Hamas would then the world would use that as to say, "Oh, you nasty, horrible Jews! Look at the look at the, the Palestinian genocide that you've launched." Well, it turns out they, that the Jews didn't launch any Palestinian genocide. It turned out that Hamas went into Israel to do something that that Israel could not ignore. They, there's no proportional response to this. And by the way, proportional response is a certain is a certain formula for endless war and death. There's never been a stupider idea in the history of the world than proportional response. But they had to do something so appallingly brutal, so inhumanly cruel, that the that the Jewish nation had to say, we have got to respond to this. And and so Hamas, let's be crystal clear about this. Hamas did this so that Israelis would kill Palestinians. That's mm-hmm. why Hamas did it. That's the goal. That's the entire objective of Hamas. Hamas is to do there is there to do things that are so repugnant that it creates a world where Israelis have to kill Palestinians or Arabs or whatever, and then the world can say, "Oh, you rotten, horrible Jews," um, and and so you've got a small group of people that know this. They're just plain evil. But the armies of people marching in the streets are are are, are just stupid. I mean, they're just stupid. They're not even necessarily evil. Although, be honest with you, to be that, to be, if I'm going to go out in the street and protest something, I I feel like if you don't have any idea what that is, there's something evil about that. So you hear these college kids chanting, "From the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free." It's like which river? 
They don't know. What sea? They don't know. Is it the Atlantic? No. It turns out it's the River Jordan. And it turns out it's the it's the Mediterranean. You you freaking idiots! And 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 so they don't have any idea what they're saying. They this generation has been raised to be able to do one thing and one thing only, and that is protest. It is the only thing they've been allowed to do that gives them status. It's the only thing they're allowed to compete at. It's the only skill set they have. They don't know how to fix anything. They don't know how to build anything. All they know how to do is protest things. And the and and the thing that you have to keep remembering about Gen Z is, and this is not easy for me because it's just so easy for me to want to just hate their guts, but they didn't ask to be educated this way. They didn't design the, the system that, that put this nonsense into their head. And they didn't, they didn't, they're not the ones who should have stopped them. They are the product of this brainwashing. And of all the people that suffer because of this, it's Gen Z. I have never seen such unhappy young people in my life. I mean, they're just miserable. And, and if one of them accidentally has to be happy, then it's the job of everybody else to remind them that you can't be happy when all of this injustice is going on. But it, it, it's just, it's sickening. And and I don't believe that people will continue to vote for this kind of thing. I think you can sum up what I expect and hope. I, I may be wrong, but what I expect and hope is going to happen in 2024 is your Democratic, average Democratic voter, sensible, relatively sensible Democratic voter, the kind of person who would have agreed with Tip O'Neill over Ronald Reagan, right? Not not destroy America, left-wing lunatics, you know, like them. I think your, your Democratic voter is going to have to say, well, I'm a Democrat and I can't stand the Republicans and I can't stand Orange Man. But if I vote for the Democrats, that means that there's going to be a naked male in my daughter's locker room. And she's been working on the swim team for six years now. And I'm simply not going to allow that. So I think rather than them switching over to conservatives in mass droves, I think there'll be a significant amount of that. But I think mostly they'll just say, I'm not, I'm not voting for this anymore. I'm just not voting for it. When, when, when the religious right was most active in Republican politics is before I got active in politics. They never controlled the Republican Party. They were a faction, but they never controlled them. But these lunatics do control the Democratic Party. And if it turned out that the Republican Party had a platform that said, uh, as a Republican, uh, we believe that, that the United States is a Christian nation and that everybody who is either not a Christian has to get the hell out of here, then I'm not a Republican anymore. Um, and and that's just that's just the way it goes. But we aren't, so I am, um, and I think that this that, that that these policies have become so anti-human and so anti-reality that people have had enough of them. We're going to find out soon enough, I guess. Bill Whittle, uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous. It's been a tremendous honor to to have oh. you on the show, and I really appreciate it. Oh, my and, pleasure. Uh, I look forward to uh, doing stuff like this again. Uh, sure. You're, uh, I just love your your insights and your attitude. Everybody, go to BillWhittle.com. Uh, I, I look at that stuff and I, I say, well, yeah, that's the stuff Bill's been talking about for a long time. And I've been an, an admirer of Bill for a long time. And Bill, I wish you all the best with all of those projects. Uh, and I know that... Um, you know, there's a lot of great entertainment there uh, beyond politics. I'm looking forward to all of this. The um, We're going to beat these weenies. We're, this this country's not going down to a bunch of green-haired, nose-pierced weenies who cry because they, you know, because they can't open their granola packages. I'm not I'm not worried about them. We're going to kick their ass. Don't you worry. That's going to happen. God, thank you, Bill. I needed that. And thank you for joining me on The Crusher today. My pleasure. My pleasure.